You're listening to Saber and Sage Unplugged, and I'm your host, Stephanie Renee. Each season, I'll be hooking up with a diverse group of folks that are unplugging and giving an unfiltered glimpse into their lives, creative process, and dropping that sage advice to carry us through life. Marta Rivera Diaz is a formally trained chef with more than 25 years of cooking and baking experience. She created the blog Sense and Edibility to encourage advanced and novice cooks to explore and succeed at executing culinary fundamentals and techniques. Marta melds her multicultural background and extensive travel history into creative recipes that inspire. My favorite quote from Marta is, I'm a woman with wild, crazy hair and painted pouty lips who's tatted up and I'm a homeschool mom. I claim the Bronx is home, but I've never lived anywhere for more than six years. No one gets me, yet everyone understands me. Listen in. Well, welcome. I'm so excited to talk to you. Me too. Yeah, so excited to talk to you because I can't wait to hear all of the happenings that are happening. There's a lot. Um, So, you know, one of the things that I like to ask all of my guests, you know, depends on like what industry they're in, but I love hearing specifically from my, my food focused guests. How did your food journey begin? Mine began by default. So (laughs) both my parents were active duty airmen and I was the youngest of three and we all had our chores. And I don't know if my older brother and sister were ever made to cook and just bombed it completely. But for some reason, I was tasked with cooking. And yeah, that's my journey did wow. not begin like most people's. Mine was, I was forced into cooking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, I don't, as a parent now, I don't see the logic in telling my nine-year-old, hey, make dinner mm-hmm. and just figure it out. But that is what I remember being my introduction into cooking. And I just, I mean, you know, I played around a lot. I made a lot of nasty meals, (laughs) but it just stuck. So (laughs) thank God for forced child labor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, hey, it's like, you have to throw them into the fire sometimes and see what happens. (laughs) Like, let's, let's, let's see how this pans out. Okay, so you have two siblings and you're the youngest. Yes, I am the okay. baby. Mm-hmm. I, I'm the baby too. Yay! Yes, I, I am the baby. I think I was a little bit of a surprise. but I, I was definitely a surprise. Definitely, most certainly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what was the genesis for Sense and Edibility? Well... In in December of 2010, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And because at the time I was my mom's full-time caregiver and she was in the late stages of losing the battle to multiple sclerosis. Mm. And because she was the third of her sisters to, you know, ultimately succumb to multiple sclerosis, I knew what the journey was going to be, you know, mm. I mean, unless by some miracle of God, um, you know, a cure is developed and researched and, you know, distributed. I know what my, what the end phase looks like. Yeah. So when I got the diagnosis and I grieved over the diagnosis, I, I told my husband, I said, I haven't done anything that I'm proud of career wise. You know, I'm proud of my kids. I'm proud of being, you know, who I am, but I just, I haven't accomplished anything in my opinion, as far as food is concerned. So that started my journey to writing my cookbook. And once I self-published the cookbook, 
and my friends and my family and people who bought the book started reading it, they, they were out of it. They were like, why are you not writing a blog? You know, why are you mm. not writing? Um, and that, that was never in my plan. That it, writing about food was never something that I thought of doing until the cookbook received such, you know, such praise from people that, you know, they didn't have to tell me it was great. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I know that they meant it. You know, it wasn't just it was people being nice, right? You know, and then when I started doing it, I started realizing just how much I love. I've always loved to teach people to cook, um, and it always breaks my heart when I hear people say, "You know, I hate cooking," or "I, I just I'm horrible at it." You know, mm-hmm. I always want to. I want them to be my mission, right? To fix them because I know you can cook. Um, so it just happened very, it was very, again, one of those situations where I was pushed into the fire of you have limited time using your hands and legs. So make the best of it that you can, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Why was it important for you just kind of going off this a little bit more, but as a woman, as a woman of color, why was it important for you to carve out your own space in the food industry? I, at that time, I don't, I didn't see chefs like me on TV. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see food that I grew up eating or make made on a regular basis on TV. You know, there's, there's a fine, there's, it's a niche where you have a Latina who's also black creating food from both of her cultures and it making sense and mm-hmm. it getting through to people, you know? So for me, it was a matter of people need to know what this is. People need to be eating it and people need to see that chefs that look like me exist. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that is like so important. And so, I mean, look, <laughs> we've been having this kind of discussion for years it's just catching on with other people, but it's so, and that's why representation is so important and so important that we see other people that look like us, see other people that look like us that are trying different things and new things or uplifting and amplifying what we do and what we've grown up with. I remember, I remember being in kitchens where I was the only female working a line and I was definitely the only Latino or Latina that was not working in some sort of housekeeping capacity. Mm-hmm. That that's happened throughout my career. Yeah. So it and it pains me because there's other girls out there that want to do what I've been doing, and they don't see that representation. You know, and I'm not about I'm not like you know put me on a camera and put me in front of people, but. I do want other people to know, especially girls that look like me and that come from my background or, you know, have the same kind of cultural blessing that I have mm-hmm. to know that it's possible. Yeah. You know? Now, one of the questions I was going to ask you was what lasting love for food did your family instill in you? But <laughs> now I'm like, you know what? But you know what? That's a super important question. Right? Okay. I think a lot of times people are under this impression that chefs have, you know, grown up with this, this respect for food and this, you know, this, this, this bond with food that comes from a childhood memory of grandma making you cookies. That's not my experience. Mm-hmm. My experience mm-hmm. was, you know, here's chicken that may be a little bit too old and that you know, I inadvertently thaw it out, but froze again. And now it's probably rotten. Mm-hmm. It. So my, my food journey is not intertwined with some fond, cushy memory. Mine is a journey of struggling to make food from almost nothing that we had in the pantry or trying to create something and me not knowing what to do. and feeling very intimidated by the fact that if I don't have dinner ready at a certain time, I'm going to get in trouble. So a lot of people are under the impression that all chefs have these fond, 
loving memories surrounding food. And some of us don't. Some of us yeah. have food insecurity memories. Some of us have the, the pressure of making food and not really knowing what you're doing with it or being told to make food that you don't have enough resources to, to properly complete, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that's a good point that you bring up because we do tend to romanticize memories. I mean, I do have fond memories because I learned to cook from my granny, but I didn't necessarily appreciate. Yeah, that's another, right. Yeah. I didn't appreciate those things as much as I do now. Yeah. So even though it may be a little romanticized when I was, you know, a kid, I, I was like, I don't want to snap no peas. I don't want to steal no peas. Get out of here. <laughs> I get yeah. it, girl. So it, it's different. And I think that's one of the important things that we don't necessarily talk about is when you're thinking about food apartheid or what neighborhoods don't have food deserts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, who who doesn't have um, they just have a liquor store, right? And so that's where they're getting processed foods because that's the only thing that they can get. And so it's important for us to include those stories um, so that the narrative isn't skewed. Exactly. And it's okay. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. For a very long time, I came from a place of shame where, well, why was I, stupid ice maker, you know, why was I forced to use powdered milk or drink powdered milk mm-hmm. you know what I mean and and answer that question and now and especially being a, a military spouse and seeing the struggle of some of the bravest people on the planet having to choose between okay do I go get wick and and face the embarrassment of me not being able to you know afford certain things or do I just struggle and mm-hmm. my kid doesn't have milk. That's reality for a lot of people. And, and the shame needs to be removed from it because right. oftentimes it's not your fault. It's just the way society has been built up. Yes. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Can you describe a dish that is inspired by your mother and you've maybe taken it into a new direction? So my mother very much loved or loved very much uh, blood sausage. Um, It is something that is very typical. It's it's very typical in the Puerto Rican cuisine, especially during Christmas time where the poor, the pig was killed and, you know, use everything from the pig, including Mm -hmm. the blood uh, to make morcilla. But she ended up later on in life um, converting to a new religion that told that you know prohibited the um, intake of blood. Mm-hmm. She didn't need it anymore. So I was always, you know, I was always trying to see if she was really committed to her faith. Like, are you sure you don't want some more? Um, so that is something that I really, you know, I. I have fond memories of that sausage because of how much my mother loved it and how that was the defining moment of her faith was mm. that she had to give it up and she was committed to giving it up. Going in a different way, different direction with it, you know, I'm, I'm actually trying to produce a hamburger or a meat patty based on that recipe. Oh, wow. Yeah, but finding... Fresh pig's blood is very difficult. Ah. <laughs> and now that I say it out loud, it's kind of like, <laughs> I mean, but it's a part of our culture, you know, yeah. it's, it's very dear to us. And it's for a lot of Puerto Ricans, it invokes holiday time and family time. And so you, you either have a very, lo- very definitive love hate relationship with it. You either love it or you don't. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm tr- trying to, you know, I'm trying to, work that or develop that recipe but in this market it's difficult to just go into a store and say hey can I get a pint of pig's blood yeah (laughs) I think I kind of feel the same way about chitlins I don't eat chitlins but it does bring memories of maybe sometimes during Christmas or during New Year's yep so and it's like stuff isn't complete (laughs) 
and you know, like and you remember that smell when you mm-hmm. walked into a house and somebody was making chitlins you were like yes yep remember that smell mixed <laughs> in with a pot of boiling water of some <laughs> cinnamon and oh. maybe some women <laughs> and it's like that does not Please. matter Bailey's. I always remember seeing Bailey's and for the longest time I would not use a Bailey's because it was associated with chitlins. I've let go of that. My kids actually love, they love intestines. They love, they love awful. They love it all. You wow. Know, taco trucks here in San Antonio, they'll get tongue tacos. They like try to. Yeah. They love it all. Yeah. Oh like, my dad. I'm not going to stand it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that smell is that smell is seared into my memory <laughs> wow yes those memories <laughs> now given like your your kind of combination of cultures so your mo- mother is puerto rican yes and my dad is black okay and so how do you describe your cooking style how would you describe your cooking style in three words eclectic intentional Mm. and three words okay eclectic intentional and frenetic those are my three words because i'll see something i'll see a drink i'll see you know something in a can i'll see a perfume and the fren- the frenetic part of my cooking comes from I want to make that into something edible mm. or I want to make that into a cocktail. So then my brain starts going crazy and it doesn't matter if it's two o'clock in the morning. I'm up, I'm writing down because if I don't, I'll forget. And then when I get into the kitchen to develop it, I'm pulling from my two cultures and from my travels as a lifetime military family member to put it into something that makes sense. And then with great intention of what I wanna put out to the world, I cook it or I mix it or I bake it. So it, it's fluid in a really chaotic way. Mm. Yeah. That's dope, I like I'm it. I'm funky, I'm so funky when it comes to food. It's just, it's just I'm weird <laughs> and I'm okay with my weirdness. <laughs> You know, that's why, I think that's why, um, I think that's probably why I love like Issa Rae and Insecure so much too, because some people wouldn't think it, but I feel like I'm such an awkward little person. Yes. And that's okay. (laughs) How many times, like you, you and I have been around each other long enough to know that I am very, I say discombobulated. It's just sometimes, and you know what it is, is that I realize that I have so many gears spinning in my head mm-hmm. that I really have to be intentional about what I'm doing when I'm doing it. And I have to shut them down yeah. because I'm, not, I'm over here, I'm over there. Yeah. So I'm very much like that eccentric woman that lives in the apartment building surrounded by cats, plants, and books. <laughs> I am. Yeah. I mean, my husband, um, I, I was working and he was home for some reason. I can't even remember why, but he kept hearing my alarm go off and he was like, what's going on? Why do you, why does your alarm keep going off? I'm like, look, if I don't put myself on a timer and like play games with myself, then I'm going to be all over the place. So I have to give myself, I don't know, like 15 minutes or 30 minutes to work on something. <laughs> Or if not, you go, you know, you're obsessive and mm-hmm. you find yourself, you know, sitting down to your computer at eight o'clock and at, you know, five o'clock, you're still at your computer. You have a mood, drink, yep. water, nothing. So I, I look, us creatives, like we're like that. We have yep. to be very, you know, we have to police ourselves. Yeah, I totally get it. I totally get it. And this is a good segue into another question because um, this was on your your about me page. (laughs) Uh, So tell me a little bit more about this for you. No one gets me, yet everyone understands me. I mean, so I have a very, like I said, I'm super eclectic in the way I think, in the way I operate. 
I'm extremely pessimistic. I'm the person that, you know, I, I won't talk about great things because I feel like I'll jinx myself, mm-hmm. you know? And when I reveal that to people, they're kind of like, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't be like that. Like they don't understand why looking at my life, I would be pessimistic. But then when I start, you know, going through my process and the way I think and why I think people are like, yeah, I'm like that too. So I feel like I give people a space to, to accept cynicism in a way that's not like detrimental to who they are. Like you can mm-hmm. be, you can be pessimistic for certain things and it doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a Debbie Downer. It just makes you, I'm, I'm very pragmatic in that way. Right. Yeah. Um, and then just, I'm a mom. I'm devoted to my kids. I love my kids, but I also don't want my kids to grow up to be assholes. So I frequently remind my kids that the world does not revolve around you, that you're not entitled to anything just because you were born and whatever you earn in life should be, or whatever you receive in life should be earned by your hard work, by your work ethic and by your determination. You know, and a lot of moms are like, oh, you can't, say that but I kind of feel like that about my kids you know every mom feels that way about their kids they don't want their kids to be jerks when they grow up you know you want to raise good people and I think a lot of people believe that if you say that out loud that it makes you a bad person but I'm the one that's going to say it because I I truly I truly mean it and I don't really care about you know what I'm supposed to do or supposed to say yeah supposed to behave you know yeah so I think that's really what it is I've I've been accused of being mean sometimes (laughs) and I'm like it's not that I'm mean but I'm gonna tell the truth (laughs) I have a very hard time you know and tact is something that I had to grow into mm -hmm. I I would, would admit that I lacked a lot of tact when I was younger um but yeah, and no one, no one in my life that I know of has ever been able to say they don't know where they stand with me. Yeah. Because, you know, if you offend me, I'm going to tell you, you have offended me. I'm going to give you a, an opportunity to either own it and double down on it or to apologize. And if not, we're going to keep it moving. But mm-hmm. harboring things is not something I'm a fan of. And, you know, I'm not a fan of dumbing down or quieting down myself to make anybody feel okay. Right, right. Or sugarcoating. Um, I mean, and it's like, I'm like this. If I love you, then you do want me. Because I'm going to fight for you. Yep. No matter what. I'm bull loyal to the people in my life. Yeah, but I'm also going to tell you the truth. And if if something's going on where, you know, you need to know a little something, I'm going to say it. And I would expect the same thing. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. I'm, I'm expecting you to do the same thing for me because that's how we're going to grow. Yes. And you can't really have authentic relationships with, with that barrier being between you and they, mm-hmm. you know, if, you know, one of the thing that I, that, that hurts me the most is when friendships run their course or relationships run their course. And then at the end of that relationship, you hear all the things that you were and how horrible you were to them, or you did this to me 15 years ago. And you're like, why we couldn't have this conversation 15 years ago? Things would have changed a lot more. So I've always made it a point. And again, because of my MS, I am very quick to cut people off when I feel toxicity coming into the relationship. Mm Because if we can't discuss it and have that conversation, our relationship can't be that strong. It can't be. And if it's not that strong and I feel, you know, more, I feel more guarded around you, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't, like, I'm not doing that. Nobody should do that. Yeah. Do you feel um, with everything that is going on that went on with your mother and um, I believe you said your aunties as well, yeah. um, and then like your own personal health um issues that have happened do you feel that it's like you know I can't be wasting time on different things and this is you know 
have to just go for stuff. Yes. Uh, a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. I feel when I tell you, I feel like I'm on borrowed time. I'm, I'm not exaggerating that. I don't know from day to day. I don't know what's going to, you know, provoke, you know, a flare up of the MS that causes me to not be able to walk or you, you, my mom was legally blind for two years in one of her eyes. Mm. And that's what the disease does. It literally will rob you of whatever it wants to rob you of for as long as it wants to rob you of. And if you're lucky enough to get it back, great. So that's why drama with me, toxicity with me, and don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting up here pretending like, you know, the drama just comes to me. Sometimes, I mean, I'm not in a little bit of drama, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm, I'm strong enough to own that and to admit to that. Um, but drama just for the sake of drama? No. Yeah. I can't, yeah. because I don't have time for it. I have to live for my kids. You know, I want to be there to dance with my son at his wedding. I want to be able to, you know, stand in my daughter's delivery room if she decides to have children. I, so I have to preserve what I can. And if, and then I have to do what I want to accomplish for myself. So I feel like I did something with my life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What is some sage advice your mama or any other elder in your life has given you? So my mom about a month before she died, we had some drama in the family and I just went into her room crying and I was just like, you know, why can't we just have a functional family? You know, mm-hmm. and she said, one thing you, I don't know if I, well, I already cursed, but you know, yeah, it's okay. my, mom, my mom like was in the military during the Vietnam era. Oh, wow. I heard tall, Latina beautiful my mom was gorgeous so she she dealt with a lot of bs mm-hmm. um, and she just told me you give you need to stop giving a damn about what other people outside of these walls say about you she said the day the day is going to come where you're like me and at this point my mom was completely paralyzed from the neck down mm. she said the day's going to come when you're going to be like me, where you could be like me. And all you have left to do is sit with your memories and the things you did or you didn't do. And not a single time is going to, you're not, you're never going to remember the time so-and-so said this about you. You're going to remember what you accomplished with your life and how you love the people that cared about you. She says, stop giving a shit with what, what other people think mm-hmm. and worry about what you're going to be able to live with when, if you ever get to my, you know, to my condition. And ever since then, I was just like, I think that's what I needed to hear to be okay with not giving a shit. Mm -hmm. Because I could see it. You know, I, this wasn't some, you know, this, this wasn't in theory. This was something that I was touching that I was dealing with on a day to day, hour to hour, minute by minute basis, you know? I was not okay with just one day being in my mom's position and reveling on all the things I didn't accomplish. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's advice all of us. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. know, take and and keep that with us. And I feel like I see that. Um, I know you're talking about a family situation for that, but I, I feel like I see that in the way that you approach um, blogging and being on social media and, um, you know, handling your audience. Yes. Because, I mean, it's so easy. I mean, I've just been, I I just started doing this last year. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I never really was on social media, just a little bit. But I see where it's easy to get caught up in what people saying about you or not saying about you or who's following you or who unfollowed you or you know it's it's for me you know this this social media anonymity that people have is 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 bonkers to me I mean I get to a point where you know I've been I've been people have talked about everything about me that you can talk about you know (laughs) and it's just 
you you kind of have to look look at it from a different lens like using common sense you it's not about you whatever people are saying about you is not about you mm-hmm. i mean granted if i mistyped you know a, a measurement in a recipe then it's about me you know then i've caused something to go wrong i mean when you put it into perspective I didn't kill your kid, so it's yeah. that big of a deal. Um, but there are people that will attack your looks. They'll attack your faith. They'll attack your skin color. They'll attack your features. They will attack anything that they can put their hands on or comment on. And, and for me, it's gotten to the point where I'm just like, this isn't about me. You're upset about something in your life. Mm-hmm. I'm not about to own it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to check you because you're not going to be disrespectful, but I don't have to play this game with you. Yeah. You know? it, it, talk about, talk about whatever you want to talk about and that's fine, but it says more about you than it does about me, you know? Yeah. And I think, I mean, like you said, that anonymity and people, they feel like it just gives them a license just to be and it does you know what let's be honest it gives them a license because you wouldn't say that to my face i promise that (laughs) like if if, that part yeah i mean let's just let's just keep it all the and that's what i tell people let's keep it all the way real if we were sitting at a table across from one another you would not dare say that to my face Mm -hmm. so you can go ahead and invent what you need to vent on social media because that's where it's going to stay and again you're the one that looks like a fool yeah. Everybody that can see these comments or see your post can see the type of person that you are. And it says much more about you than it does about me. Yeah. You yeah. get mad over a recipe. You get mad because, you know, I made a recipe that wasn't, I, I literally had a comment left on my, um, it was my macaroni salad. Mm-hmm. That macaroni salad is good, but somebody came on there and was so upset that, and I quote, what happened to macaroni salads like my grandma used to make? Oh. I don't even know your grandma. Okay. And she ain't my grandma. <laughs> You're white. I don't even have a white grandma. I don't know. Like, but homeboy was upset, like mad. You know, he was adding ingredients that weren't even in the recipe. He was, he was legitimately upset. And I was just looking at him like, wow. Grandma didn't give me the recipe. She should have given I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, people are trip. They are a trip. <laughs> I know you mentioned you have twins. I do. And so I, I want to just, because my next question, you have twins, you have this business that you've been growing, and then your husband is still in the military, right? Still active? No, he retired two years ago. Okay, he retired two years ago. What's your recipe? But this is a lot. A lot going on. And you homeschool your twins, right? (laughs) I know. That's a lot. What's your recipe for staying grounded? Lots of coffee. (laughs) Um, And now, you know, again, in in thinking about how I wanted to raise our children, I, and then having the diagnosis that I have, and then at the time, my husband being active duty and deploying on a, you know, every other year he would, he started deploying as they got older. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really was spawned out of a fear that if we were to die or be incapacitated, my kids would be incapable of taking care of each other or mm-hmm. themselves, you know? And so when I started, it was when my husband was stationed in South Korea for a year. I had just been diagnosed. I was full-time taking care of my mom homeschooling the twins and running a business, it was like everybody in the house that can has to chip in. It it can't just be on me. For the longest time, I was just like, no, in order for me to be a good mom and wife, I have to do everything. Mm -hmm. And that was part of what set off the the episode that finally diagnosed my MS is that I I just could not stand up straight. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I started bringing my family into things. So a lot of people look at me and they're like, well, you do it all. 
but I, it's very strategic what I do. I'm a manager of my household. I taught my children how to cook, how to clean, how to do their laundry, how to, you know, to manage their time. My mm-hmm. husband is a, a man who takes care of himself, you know, and yeah. we all just work together. My biggest thing, and I always tell my family, is we're a team. If one of us fails, we all fail. Mm-hmm. So it can't be, you know, mom doing everything just because mom can do everything. Um, everybody has to chip in. So while it, it seems like, you know, oh, you, you have all these hats. I'm a good ma- manager of people. So, you know, and now it's mom's turn. Yeah. Because I homeschooled the twins. They just graduated a week and a half ago. Wait a minute, graduated from? High school. Really? <laughs> That's my baby. They turned 16. Um, July 1st was their birthday oh, and wow. they graduated. And so now we're working on, we want them to go to a trade school to learn a trade before they start college. Okay. Um, so that they have, you know, they have things to fall back on if they don't get a job in their degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, but it, it's always been, you know, me just now I, I tell my, my children, you know, I did, I, pushed everything that I could into you as far as your education is concerned. My husband, I supported you for 22 years, you know, in the military, followed you around, gave up career opportunities. Now it's mom's turn, you know? So now it's like a collective effort from the family to kind of support me and what I want to do. I love it. How do you, not just the twins, but your husband too, how do they feel about having this, this badass influencer mommy, (laughs) businesswoman you know it's funny because my kids are super super proud they don't really get it but they just know that you know mom was in this you know in this article or mom was on this show or mom did this and you know my daughter will tell random people she told our dentist the other day my mom has followers on instagram (laughs) and the dentist is like I just want to clean your teeth, kid. You know, my husband is super, um, he's really proud. He's, he really is. And it means a lot to me that my family is proud of me. Um, But I think what's most important is that they know that I'm doing it for a reason, you Mm -hmm. know, and they, they support it because again, they know that what I've invested in them, they're trying to give back to me. um, And yeah, I mean, they're proud of me. And that's what that truly does mean the, the world to me, because the time that I take away to do what I do, you know, it's time I'm taking away from them. Yeah. So for them to be proud and happy that I'm doing it means a lot to me. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I mean, that's a great segue into what's on the horizon for for you. I know we were on a call, a Zoom, like a couple of weeks back when I first saw you got a whole setup, yeah. which is cool. I'm like, I need that. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, so for those that cannot see it, uh, there's like this kitchen studio with a whole setup with a, I think it's an oven back there. I think I see a refrigerator and I mean, it's all kinds of stuff, props, everything. Yeah. So tell us, what is on the horizon? Oh, we just moved into our forever home that we spent two years building. Um, It was a disaster. But, you know, we're, yeah, girl, (laughs) tell people. I had, you know, I was, at the same time I was diagnosed with MS, I was diagnosed with a brain aneurysm. Had brain surgery to fix that. I would go through brain surgery like three times before I ever build another house. Oh my gosh. But we made it, right? Mm -hmm. And... And you all are in Texas. Yeah, we're in San Antonio. Yeah. And the the most important room for me was my studio because that's where I wanted to start doing video and Mm -hmm. really, you know, really hone in on building the brand because my goal ultimately is to truly, truly retire my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's been, he joined the army when he was 17 he was in the army for 26 years. Uh, he's seen things because he was in the medical field that a lot of us don't understand and don't want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, he's buried friends. It's just, he's, he's 
46 living in like a 65 year old man's body yeah and because he's that guy you know he went straight into working as a civilian and I want him to be home like I want him to chill I want him to you know rest I want I want to be able to build my brand so that we can work together to build a family business um, in the blog. So the studio was the catalyst for that. Like if I have my own space where I can create, but also turn work off when I need to, Mm -hmm. then I think I'll be more productive. And that's been the case. So the, the, the future ahead is more videos, tons of videos, more classes, um, and just Hector and I and the twins just working to build this family business of food and raucous times on the internet. <laughs> I love it. Yes, build that legacy, build that family wealth. Sure. And just a shout out to your husband, yeah. Mini Cross, because <laughs> both my father and my stepfather were in the military. Sure. Um, and so, I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize like the toll. They don't, get, they don't get it. I mean, they don't get it. And you know what? It's not for everyone to get. Mm-hmm. And or I mean, whether you agree with exactly. military or not, you still got to respect folk. And you still benefit mm-hmm. from what yep. they choose to do, period. You know, and my husband has never been one of those people who, you know, who demands anything other than respect as a human being. Um, and to be a Puerto Rican man who for the majority of his career couldn't even vote for the president because he was born in Puerto Rico um, to be willing to go to other countries and potentially die or watch his friends die, but not be able to vote for his boss. Yeah. You know, there, there's not much I'm going to, I'm going to allow to go to be said about him or people like him that is disrespectful. So, you know, he's, he's done things that a lot of us are not willing to do. Yeah. Or haven't done, you know, much respect much respect thank you i will pass it along to <laughs> so we're gonna switch gears a little bit okay and these are some quick questions Uh-oh. a little lightning round okay. um so first question what is your favorite dish from childhood okay that i don't have one because remember like what's yeah, up yeah. darn <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's really sad. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, seriously, um, right. <laughs> I'm trying to. You try to figure I, stuff I, out. I was <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. I would <laughs> rice. I mean, I don't. <laughs> I. 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 Wow, that's depressing. Crabs, I guess. Crab. Okay. Boil crabs. That, that, like, hey, that'll work. Crab boil. Yeah, I remember that from childhood. <laughs> <laughs> that'll work that'll work okay five ingredients you always have in your kitchen oh that's easy rice beans chicken ground beef and cream cheese because I gotta make cheesecake okay yeah 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 that was right. so let me tell you I did a study abroad in Costa Rica oh, wow. and I I, I mean, that was like one of the best times. And I loved my host family that I was with. But, you know, I had rice and beans like every day, three times a day or more. And so when I got back, <laughs> I was like, like, I literally just wanted like McDonald's or something. <laughs> and my mom picked me up from the airport and she's like, I was like, mommy, you know, <laughs> Do we have some food? She was like, oh yeah, I made some rice and beans. <laughs> but I mean, it didn't show like, cause we always had rice and beans at some point during the week, once or twice, or I don't know, even maybe three times, but at that point, and I love rice and beans, yes. but I was like, man, my I mom told me growing up every single day of her life rice beans chicken of some sort every single day and I just I can't even wrap my mind around that I mean we have rice and beans probably once a week and that's like it because I'm all about like let's make Thai food let's make Korean food let's do this Hector has to have 
I think most Puerto Ricans have to have rice and beans consistently. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like they start pining for it. I mean, I know people that don't like rice or they don't like beans. Mm-hmm. For the most part, a lot of the Puerto Ricans in my life that I know are like, you can't go, we can't go a month without having it. Yeah, so. I'm telling you, every single day, all day, it was always rice and beans and some type of protein. It was so economical though. Like it makes sense, you know, when you, you think about it. And even now, Having rice and dried beans is, I know I'll never go hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? and so you can make it stretch. Yeah, you can. <laughs> and you can change it up, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I know how to make rice and beans. Sure. Yeah, but at that point, I was just like, I just want, I just want McDonald's right now. <laughs> <laughs> and McDonald's in the States is different from McDonald's in other countries. Like, that's for real. Yeah. So what I will say, I did, <clears throat> I had a hamburger like one time while I was out there and I was just like Mm-mm, this is not the same <laughs> it's not it's not I mean we lived in Europe for six years and it's just different I mean it's not bad different yeah different. yeah it just wasn't what I wanted yeah maybe it's all the preservatives and stuff that we had yeah I know <laughs> based enough you're killing us yeah <laughs> <laughs> I like dying a little yeah um, okay, so what's your go-to dish to bring the potlucks? Oh, okay. So I I don't think I'm allowed to go to potlucks without bringing my mac and cheese mm. or my arroz con gandules, the you know rice with pigeon peas. Yeah. Those are the two things every time we had a potluck, especially in military units where people are like, "You gonna bring your mac and cheese? You gonna be that yellow rice?" <laughs> Those are my, they're like neck and neck. Okay. Yeah. And I'm starting to get hungry. I, I hear yeah, my I stomach too. growling. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Finish this sentence for me. If I could have dinner with blank, I would cook them blank. If I could have dinner with Abuela Leria, who's my husband's grandmother, I would bake her uh, a carrot cake. And that's what we would eat for dinner. It was her favorite. And she was like a surrogate grandmother to me. She she really was the person who connected me, truly, truly connected me with my Puerto Rican heritage. Oh, wow. But but like the roots, the, the, the roots of Puerto Rico. She was like, she was the roots to the tree that became who I am. She really fed into me a lot of old school, traditional recipes and foods. And Mm -hmm. I don't think I didn't, I don't, I didn't have enough time with her, Mm -hmm. you know? So that, that's who I would definitely carve out that time with her. And carrot cake was her favorite. And she loved my carrot cake. Uh, Yeah. I love that. And like, I love learning from elders, yes. um, like just sitting and just learning from them or just listening yes. to what they have to say. It's and so two, funny. because they can just be kind of out of pocket too, and they don't care. And they don't give a damn. <laughs> like, they're, they're like, oh, baby, you tried. Mm-hmm. You'd be putting your whole soul into a recipe. And they're like, oh, that's a nice try, baby. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, but again, when, when I was in Europe, I would find my way to the kitchens of little, you know, restaurants in Italy or Greece and just, you know, peek my head in. And if there wasn't an old person back there doing something, the food wasn't probably good. Mm. But, you know, and you just watch them and they're so in love with the fact that people want to learn. Yeah. You know, and that, that spans any, um, any profession. If you're talking history, and you're not sitting at the foot of an elder to hear their story and what they went through and what they learned or the foods that they were eating, you are missing out on so much in life. Yes. So many of the recipes that I create come from the older people in my family or talking to older people and just, or just reading about older people. They have such wisdom, so many gems to impart to us and society now is kind of poo-pooing them away, you know? Mm-hmm. The best gift I could have given my children 
is having them be raised for, you know, six, nine years with their grandmother. Yeah. I mean, they would sit there with her and just listen. And it, it just, it gives them more respect for their elders, but it also taught them that life is not just about easy, you know, mm-hmm. easy money or an easy life. Yeah. That I is. Love, so I love true. older people. So true. So true. I know. Like my mom, she'll, um, we'll be talking sometimes. She's like, how do you even like remember such and such? I'm like, cause I was <laughs> listening yeah. or asking questions. Yeah, we were nosy kids too. I was always trying to be in somebody's yeah. grown folks business. Girl, yes. I'm, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm a nosy one. People, they don't necessarily, because I, I, I'm slick about my stuff. But <laughs> I'm nosy. I would, always, I would always tell my kids, see, that's the problem. That's why y'all get sent to, to bed early, because you make yourself known. I used to sneak in and just sit there and listen to grown folks talking about everybody and their mother. Yeah. Yeah, my husband and I, we were just laughing about this because um, we were talking about some of my family in Tennessee and they would be like, Steph is like a ghost. It's like, she'll be there for a second and then she'll just disappear. Yeah. <laughs> like they're listening and then well, where she you gotta know all that. I'm nosy when it comes to stuff like that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. I had such a good time talking with you. I always love talking to you. I love chatting. <laughs> so it's always such a good time. It's fun chatting. No bamboo earrings, girl. I'm I'm like, I'm over here like I need to get me some. Yeah, I, I love it. Thanks for listening to Savor and Sage Unplugged. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes, and to stay up to date, head over to savorandsage.com. I hope you enjoyed this last episode of season one and stay tuned for season two coming spring 2022.